electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian in for Kelly Evans today. And here's what's ahead. The big news that we are watching, Apple's Developers Conference kicking off right now. We're going to get live updates on everything important that Apple announces as investors look for something, anything that might turn that stock around. Stocks losing most of their gains today. The Dow and Nasdaq briefly turning negative. Are the markets just too volatile to jump in right now? Or should you get off the sidelines and put a little money to work? Guess what's working? Oil. It's up near 120 bucks a barrel. Gasoline prices at record highs. And now China ramping back up after COVID lockdowns. How much higher will energy costs go? We'll hit all that and much more. But let's begin now with Dom and these sort of topsy-turvy market We've stocks. seen positives, and we've seen actually a brief flash into negative territory at this point, Brian. So to your point, if you look at the highs of the session right now, we kind of go through and cycle through which ones, the S&P, the Nasdaq, we focus on. We'll do the Dow today. The Dow was up 350-plus points at the highs of the session, and we drifted down towards that negative territory. Now we're back up just a modest 45 points. That's about a one-tenth of 1% gain, 32,942 to the current level. The S&P, 41.25 is the trade. They're up 16 handles, just about half of 1% gains there. Similar percentage move for the NASDAQ Composite, which is, by the way, an outperformer much earlier this morning. So it's up 52 points, 12,064 the last trade. So again, drifting a little bit lower, a little bit of steam coming out here. One key reason why is we are watching a push higher in interest rates, specifically the long-term ones tied to the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield, the benchmark there. Now we're above 3%, 3.03 the last trade for the 10-year note yield. So we're making that kind of push back above. Remember, at the highs here, just in the course of the last month and a half or so, it was roughly just a hair below 3.17%. So kind of keep an eye on that level. We're at 3.03 right now, but we're back above 3. That's what traders are watching. Now, Chinese Internet, a very big focus for some traders looking for that volatility today. And the reason why is because DD Global, the Uber of China, if you will, is up 36 percent, a massive move higher. Believe it or not, at the highs of the session, we were up 67 percent. That stock was, again, over three dollars, three dollars and ten cents at the high. Some of the regulatory crackdowns may be easing a bit. So say some of the reports coming out of there, that's giving a bid to pin Duo Duo, JD, NetEase, some of the bigger NASDAQ 100-related stocks, and the big ETF that tracks those Chinese Internet stocks, the Crane Shares one, KWeb is the ticker, up 5%. But, of course, Brian, we like to put things in context. And remember, at $2.52, just take a look at where it was over the course of the past year. DD Global, post-IPO, was actually an $18 stock in mm. June of last year. It is all the way up, 36%. To a whopping $2.51. That's not a chart you like if you're a bull on DD, so keep an eye on that. I'll send things back over to you. Bro. But when the weight and heft of the Chinese government comes down on you, it comes down of, hard. It comes down hard. The iron fist. Dom Chu, thank you very much. All right, your big money corporate headline right now Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference is kicking off in person with CEO Tim Cook set to present the latest versions of software and maybe. A few other surprises. Steve Kovac is at Apple's headquarters in Cupertino, California, with more of what we can expect. Steve, what are you looking for? 
Hey, Brian. Yeah, Tim Cook took the stage in person for the first time in over two years. So since the pandemic began, hundreds of people are here. Uh, this is the first time Apple's really had a WWDC in this way, inviting a select group to witness the pre-recorded presentation in person. But we just saw Tim Cook and his deputy, Craig Federighi, kind of pump up the crowd. So here's what we're expecting. Like you said, software updates for all the major platforms, iPhone in particular. And then what I'm looking for are any clues in new augmented reality features that can kind of hint at this headset we're looking forward to likely later in the fall, Brian. The WWDC. We have a big day of announcements about our latest technologies All and right. platforms. We got Tim Cook going off. So what, what can, is there going to be like a one more thing moment, Steve? Yeah, that's what that's been kind of lingering over this whole morning as I'm talking to people coming into the event. Is there going to be a one more thing? Uh, if you ask me, probably nothing groundbreaking other than maybe some updates to its laptops on the hardware front. Uh, really, everyone's looking forward to this uh, this headset that I keep, we all keep talking about and any hints at that. But hardware wise, new laptops most likely running those new chips that Apple has been using and probably the final uh, nail in the coffin for Intel inside the Mac. So they're going to fully transition away from Intel most likely today, Brian. So Intel outside, yeah, far outside of Cupertino, apparently, yeah. Steve. Uh, <laughs> exactly. New Macs, that's nice. They don't seem to generate the love that a new phone might. Do you expect any buzz around a new computer, Steve, or a PC is kind of a thing of the past anyway in many ways? Well, not for Apple recently. So the Mac business has been quite reinvigorated over the last two years. Part of that's the pandemic. And part of that is this transition away from Intel that let them make a bunch of new computers that are really compelling and can just basically do things those Intel Macs couldn't do before. So they keep setting quarter over quarter just records in the Mac business. So it might not seem like the most exciting thing compared to the iPhone, but it's a huge part of Apple's business now. All right, Steve, we'll let you get in, do your thing, and uh, see you all throughout the rest of the day as that kicks off, Steve. Thanks very much. All right, so let's stick with Apple and really dig into the stock because it has not fallen too far from the market tree, and we don't mean that in a good way. Check out this, dare we say, random but interesting nugget. This year, Apple stock has underperformed the S&P 500 the past five days, the past month, the past three months, and the past year. That courtesy of our friends at DataTrek Research. But despite those headwinds, our next guest is maintaining his outperform rating and $210 target on the stock. Joining us now is Amit Dariani, Evercore ISI Fundamental Research Analyst. Amit, thanks for joining us. What are you listening and looking for from this conference today? Yeah, um, you know, for us, I think the focus is going to be the incremental software updates that they typically do. And you know, to your point, you know, is there one more thing that they announce and, you know, any hints on the AR VR headset would be very interesting. Anything on your know, NFL Sunday night ticket potentially could be very fascinating in terms of how they can scale up Apple TV more aggressively as they go forward. So I think generally expecting a lot of software updates, some hardware on the MacBook. Uh, but the one more thing would be the AR VR and or uh, NFL Sunday night ticket. Does it move? Okay, I want to get the football in a second. Does the software stuff move the needle on the revenue side, the earnings side? You know what? Listen, the only thing that moves the needle dramatically is the iPhone, in fairness, right? So, no, it does not. But what it does is it enhances the stickiness of the ecosystem. It enhances how much we want to stay within the Apple's wall gardens, if you may, and keep spending more money. So, it doesn't directly affect the numbers, but it's part of the entire ecosystem right here. Okay, football. That is a whole, sorry, whole different ballgame. 
in a way, I mean. I mean, that would be billions of dollars. That would mean huge attention in the national media, not just business news or tech news. That is a ESPN will lead with that story, or at least it'll be near the top of it. Uh, Would that be a good spend for Apple in your view, Amit? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And here's what I'd say. Um, I think a lot of streaming companies are struggling to find profitability in their business models, right? And could sports, could NFL Sunday Night Ticket be a way to enhance that profitability, right? So I do think trying to do what Netflix and Disney and everyone else is doing may end up in the same place, which is suboptimal profit levels. Um, So I do think sports would be one way to get around that problem from Apple. $210 $210 price target, stocks at 146 It's come down 18% this year. A lot of concerns, not just with Apple, but across technology, Amit, about valuations and earnings. Is Apple, you obviously view it's undervalued, so you must be bullish on earnings. You're not worried about a consumer-led economic slowdown. You know, so far, yes, I would say, listen, the worry on Apple stock has been Will inflation start to hurt demand? I think that's the worry people have on the stock, right? Um, so far, what I'd argue is demand continues to hold up really well. Apple's performance, the PL metrics that they report, are more driven by the supply constraints they have rather than the demand constraints that they have. So I do think listen, demand's holding up well. <clears throat> to the extent they can keep hitting the numbers they're supposed to, we think this is much more like a consumer staple company rather than a traditional hardware company. And if you believe that valuation, framework, it should be worth to do 10 or sustaining the 140s right now. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll ask a very slow question. Get a drink of water if you have it there, Amit. If we get the if we get the football play, does that pop the stock? Is there something that that else that could pop the stock today on this conference specifically? Um, I think the anyone NFL Sunday night ticket would definitely help the stock, right? Anyone ARVR would definitely help the stock. So I think those are two things I would look for that could be incrementally positive for the stock beyond the traditional software upgrades you're going to get today. Amit Dariani, Evercore ISI Amit, thank you very much. We'll let you get back to uh, watching the conference. Amit, thank you. Thank you. All right, so no doubt some of you out there in TV and radio land are asking yourself, why do I care about Apple's new software anyway? It's a fair question, but here's the answer. If Apple's new version includes more limits on things like ad targeting, it could be another gut punch to companies making money on ads, maybe their stocks as well. Julia Borston is here with the details. And what would this be, Julia? Part two of ad apocalypse? Pretty much, or or perhaps not quite as bad, but close. But Apple could once again throw a wrench in the ability of the likes of Meta and Snap to narrowly target ads on their platforms. Now, the company isn't expected to make another change in the operating system that it's unveiling today that could prevent fingerprinting. Now, fingerprinting is a process of tracking users based on their browsers to better target ads. Now, by expanding an Apple program called Private Relay, that's Apple's way of hiding IP addresses, Apple could not only uh, restrict the ability of of these platforms to target ads, but could also potentially create more opportunity for its own ad business. Now, the stocks that are most at risk here to more ad targeting limits are Meta, Snap, and Pinterest, and Google to some extent, though analysts point out that this company, Google, is far more insulated because 
the massive amount of data it gathers from search. Morgan Stanley writing, quote, a total ban on fingerprinting techniques would have an impact on platforms' ability to provide attribution and measurement for their clients' ad campaigns. But Morgan Stanley also goes on to say, quote, we would not expect the impact of a fingerprinting ban to be as large as IDFA. That was Apple's last operating system change which materially impacted both attribution and targeting. Now, Apple has been teasing more privacy initiatives with a new high-profile TV ad, which has run in recent weeks, including during the NBA playoffs. This as it faces criticism for collecting a cut of in-app purchases, it's stressing the value it offers in protecting consumers. Brian? It seems like Apple, I don't want to use the term at war, especially given what's going on actually in the world right now, but they are going after the Facebooks and the Googles in in a sense of the world with this unique take on ads. It's a privacy play. They're they're betting the consumers will come to them on it. Other companies are angry with them. Are we going to get into the kind of a a bifurcated ad world again? Kind of like we have, you know, iCloud and Android. Is it going to be ads, no ads based on what you choose and what you pay, by the way? Well, look, I mean, I think that we're seeing Google and Apple both reckon with challenges to their app store fees. This is something that both of them are doing. But what's really interesting to me here, Brian, is we look at the tech giants and the big personalities. We're increasingly seeing Apple versus Meta, or the company formerly known as Facebook. Not only are these two companies head to head when it comes to the ad targeting issue, because Meta is really the one that was most impacted by that last operating system change that limited the ability to target ads. But what's interesting now is you're all also going to have Apple introduce some sort of AR VR headset and who knows what we'll exactly see today. But eventually we do expect something from them. And that is going to be Apple's platform. And Facebook Meta has the Oculus platform. So those are two companies that are increasingly going head to head. And Apple is really defining itself as being pro privacy and wanting to con- you know, protect consumer privacy, where on the other hand, they're throwing darts at Meta for not having done enough to, con- to protect their, their consumers. So really interesting battle brewing there. It's only going to get more interesting. And it's like a multi tens of billions of dollar market, Julie. By the way, we're getting our first update from the conference. (laughs) Apple now saying, Julie, you can undo a sent iMessage. Do you ever fire off an errant message? Now you can undo it. Um, I have. I mean, that's it's funny because we've talked so much about Twitter and the idea with Twitter, you want to be able to undo tweets, and this is saying that you can you can rescind an email. We've all tried to to find an email and delete it before it, it's read, but um, I, I'd be curious to see how that works. I'm sure that'll be appealing. This is all part of the big software focus today, of course, Brian. Big software focus, Julia Borston. Thank you. All right, we are just getting going here on the exchange. Here's what's on deck: is the art of the deal becoming a lost art? Look at the staggering stats that put this into perspective and bringing the latest on the buyout race for one spirit airlines plus oil creeping back toward 120 bucks a barrel natural gas creeping in on double digits and the national average of gasoline hitting a new record today nearing five bucks nationally so how can you get in on the move in energy prices we've got three key plays in the space and as we head to break let's get a quick check on these markets a lot of optimism this morning markets briefly went negative or kind of flatlining right now It's the battle between the China reopen and the inflation and interest rate story on the other side. We've got a lot more to do. The exchange back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Hi, and welcome back to The Exchange. Let's take a closer look at the deal environment. So far this year, IPOs, they're a no-go. Pricing's down 80% year-over-year. SPACs have mostly gone splat. Pricing's down 70% versus last year, and M&A is MIA. Nevertheless, one takeover target keeps getting sweeter offers, and Wall Street's still optimistic about deal-making there. For more, let's bring in Phil LeBeau with the latest on what is turning out to be, Phil, one of the biggest battles in M&A history, at least for an airline. And then we'll get to Leslie Picker with a look at what bankers say about the return of M&A. Phil, this spirit thing is unbelievable. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. Look, we know the shareholder vote is scheduled for Friday on the Frontier Spirit deal. But today, JetBlue came out and said, you know what? We've got an even sweeter offer than what was initially rejected and then enhanced uh, over the last couple of weeks. So here is the latest offer from JetBlue made to Spirit this morning. It calls for a $350 million reverse breakup fee. That is $150 million more than its previous offer when it came to a reverse breakup fee. In addition, JetBlue Blue says we will pay Spirit shareholders a dollar fifty a share one-time dividend payment the day they approve this deal. And that's not talking about regulatory approval; that's shareholder approval. As you take a look at shares of JetBlue, keep in mind we're just over two months since it made its first bid for Spirit, and again, it's made a couple now that Spirit has said nope, we're going to pass on this in favor of the deal from Frontier. When we talked with Robin Hayes this morning, he still believes that JetBlue can get this done. I think as time has gone on, more and more people are understanding this and saying, yes, this can this can get done. Well, let's see what happens with Spirit Airlines. Now, remember, there is a vote that is scheduled to happen by Friday. Some of the shareholders may have already voted, but the deadline is Friday on whether or not to approve the deal that they have uh, signed off on with Frontier. So that deal, the deadline is Friday for approval. We'll see if that happens or not. As you take a look at shares of Spirit, as well as we're going to take a look at Frontier and JetBlue, or at least Spirit and Frontier, keep in mind that Glass Lewis last week recommended that this deal be approved by Spirit shareholders. But again, Brian, the bottom line is that we will see what happens come Friday. By the way, the Spirit Board is now evaluating this latest offer from JetBlue. Don't be surprised if we'll hear some kind of a determination one way or the other. You know, do they say, let's engage in negotiations? Do they flat out reject it? We'll hear from them, I'm sure, within the next couple of days. You know, so you've said in the past there's so much interest in part because this is one of the few airlines left to buy at Spirit. There's just not right. a lot of other ways to grow. But you do have an Alaska 
to a lesser extent, a Hawaiian. I mean, is it possible that any other airlines that you've heard may be in play here at all, Phil? I don't think so. I don't think so, Brian. Look, Alaska has shown no appetite uh, to expand at this point. Hawaiian really doesn't bring to the table um, or Spirit and Hawaiian. Just it's not a combination that makes sense at this point. This is either going to happen with Spirit and Frontier or Spirit and JetBlue. Look, it may not happen at all. The DOJ may look at whatever deal is ultimately approved by Spirit shareholders and say, nope, doesn't meet muster. And then, you know, we don't see any merger. Well, it'd be interesting if that was the case after all of this. Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. That shareholder vote on Tuesday. All right, so is the race for Spirit a sign that more M&A is on the way? Leslie Picker has a look at what Wall Street is saying about the second half of the year after what was a pretty lousy first half of the year. So far, it's not over yet, Leslie. It's not over yet, and I think bankers are optimistic that the second half of the year would be better, but the first half of the year has been marked by delayed deals, broken year, broken deals. This year has been a relatively tough one for IPOs, M&A, SPACs, and debt issuance. So far in 2022, we've seen more than $100 billion worth of shuttered transactions. That's just here in the U.S. alone, according to data pulled by DealLogic for CNBC. In the year through June, uh, June 2nd, 115 companies pulled or postponed their IPOs, 51 companies withdrew their mergers, and that doesn't even include what's going on in SPACs, which saw deals fall apart this week to take, uh, or sorry, last week to take Forbes and SeatGeek public. Bankers usually generate the bulk of their fees when deals close, so the tepid environment is likely to affect the earnings of some Wall Street firms. J.P. Morgan's president gave guidance at the firm's investor day last month, saying he was expecting investment banking revenue to plummet about 45 percent in the second quarter. But the qualitative comments from bank execs speaking at a conference last week struck a slightly different tone. We sat down with Morgan Stanley co-president Ted Pick, who said the M&A cycle will jumpstart in the second half of the year. After taking a pause during COVID, I think boardrooms and executives are ready to move. They know, for example, that supply chains have changed. They have the telescope out. They're looking at the big picture and they're saying, you know what? We may need to make an acquisition given the new supply chains, mm. or they may need to make a sale. Goldman Sachs COO John Waldron echoed that sentiment, noting the, quote, resiliency of M&A due to the demand from CEOs to transact. But as you know, Brian, dealmakers are notoriously optimistic. So we'll see if this rosier picture plays out in the months to come. Brian. All right. We just talked to Phil about spirit, but there's another deal that's out there, or at least an offer that's out there. It's got a lot of attention. That is Elon Musk, of course, trying to buy Twitter. There was stories today, Leslie, that Musk now is threatening to pull the bid because he thinks that Twitter is not being upfront about sort of the spam and fake numbers. What's the latest twist that we've got here, Leslie? <laughs> yeah, there is certainly a lot of twists in this situation, Brian. Um, obviously, the stock price reaction would indicate that investors aren't too excited about the prospect of this deal coming through, given the spread of where it's currently trading uh, and where the deal is currently uh, signed at. That said, buyer's remorse in M&A is not the same thing as if you just buy an item at the store and want to return it later. Even an item on sale, you can probably offload it onto someone on one of these secondhand sites or something. Not quite the case in M&A world. It looks like given Twitter's commitment to this deal and doing so at the agreed upon price of 54.20 uh, per share, I mean, I don't know if this will go into litigation, but I do hear and I know from experience that Delaware is quite nice uh, this time of year. Not that it would happen uh, 
in the summer, but it could be one of those things where given just the, the contentious uh, yeah. aspect to this deal and, and what we're seeing right now, um, it's not just as simple as pay some money and walk away. This would this would have to go into litigation if both sides are are pretty firm in their in their um, you know Musk wanting to get out and uh, Twitter wanting to maintain at the yeah. deal price. And the stock's down. It's like this, you know, Leslie. Where are you going on your summer break? We're going to Delaware, Rehoboth Beach, Noah Courthouse <laughs> in Wilmington. Thanks. Leslie Picker. I've been. I've done it. As one do- who hasn't. It's, honestly, it is kind of fun. It's yeah. kind of fun from a coverage standpoint. I'm not going to lie. Lawsuits and, <laughs> and credit cards. There you go, Wilmington. Port of Wilmington also. Thank you very much, yeah. Leslie. Appreciate it. Right up there against 495. Still ahead. Regulators are at odds with manufacturers over new rules on carbon emissions. What's at stake? Well, you're going to hear from the head of the country's largest manufacturing association coming up. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. You've got, yeah, IBM leading the way. Literally 15 down, 15 up. Amgen and Salesforce, the biggest laggards. How will this play out? We'll talk about it when the exchange rolls on right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, they caught the data bank on the snazzy graphic. I like to say, let's just check the markets and see how your money is doing right now. And we're up a little bit. Not the level we had this morning. Kind of came in on a Monday morning. Optimism, futures were up. China's reopening, maybe easing their crackdowns on tech. We're seeing the Dow up a whopping 0.03%. The S&P, the NASDAQ doing a little bit better. They actually turned negative about an hour and a half ago. So at least we're in the green right now. Solar stocks, by the way, they're higher. This after the Biden administration announced a two-year tariff exemption for solar panel components made in Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, and Malaysia. Now, all this comes after a month-long probe for the Commerce Department investigating whether Chinese solar producers were circumventing tariffs via those four countries. Now, at the same time, Biden is announcing the use of the Defense Production Act to promote domestic manufacturing of solar panels. So basically, we had a shortage of imports because of an investigation by the federal government, which then we resolve with the Defense Department or Defense Production Act from the federal government. You following all that? In the meantime, City is out with a new note on semiconductors saying, here comes the downturn. The firm cutting its estimates for the entire group and naming analog devices, though, its top pick due to its defensive nature. Analog devices, I mean, they're all up fractionally, except for the Vanek Semiconductor ETF. And here's another check on Apple as the Worldwide Developers Conference continues. Lots of headlines coming out. So 
Let's get some of the key ones. Steve Kovac, who's out in Cupertino, California. Steve. Hey, Brian, I'm back. Yeah, uh, Apple announcing a buy now, pay later product. It's called Apple Pay Later, which will work anywhere Apple Pay is accepted and lets you, just like all these other buy now, pay later services, lets you uh, make the payments interest-free over the course of several months. Um, and look, I noticed right away, Affirm was down about 6% on this news. So this is a new competitor from Apple for the Affirms, the Klarna's, the Afterpays, which is owned by Square of the world. So that's a big one from Apple. And then uh, a fun one for you. If you ever uh, have regret after sending an iMessage, Brian, they got a fix for you. You can undo that send now. So I thought that was a fun feature. Got some claps on that one. Yeah, I hit that. So does it just vanish? Do we know? And I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot, Steve. Does it just go away? Like if they didn't read yeah. it, they just don't see it? I guess, you know, they literally just announced it, so I haven't got to see it in action yet. But it will let you, after you send it, it will let you undo send. So to me, that means it takes it off the other person's phone. You can also edit an iMessage. So you can't edit your tweets yet, Brian, but you can edit your iMessages. I like it. I've done it. You know, I can't wait to anchor the exchange. I mean, worldwide exchange. You know, you just, and then Maria never knows. <laughs> Steve Kovac, thank you very much. Exactly. All right, let's get now to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler. Could undo a lot of trouble there, Brian. Thank you very much. Let's give you the uh, headlines at this latest uh, hour. At least 12 people were killed and 38 injured this weekend in a series of mass shootings. Police are still searching for the people responsible for the attacks outside a nightclub in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and in a popular area of South Philadelphia. Both shootings believed to have been involved multiple gunmen. This as Uvalde residents continue to grapple with the aftermath of that elementary school shooting that killed 21. All that and more tonight on the news with Shep Smith. Army General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the U.S. will continue to provide, quote, significant support to Ukraine at the same time Ukraine is recovering and working to identify the bodies of its soldiers killed at a steel plant in the now Russian-occupied city of Mariupol. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is signing a series of gun control bills into law today. The new legislation raises the minimum age to purchase a semi-automatic weapon from 18 to 21, requires bullets to be micro-stamped, and outlaws the sale of bulletproof vests unless they are necessary for a person's job. Brian, back to you. All right, Tyler Matheson. Tyler, thank you very much. All right, still ahead. Oil keeps climbing, hovering around 118 bucks a barrel right now. And your next guest says do not expect prices to come down anytime soon. In fact, he says the cycle could go on for five years. We'll bring three names found to benefit. Stick around. All right, welcome back. We're going to tell you something you already know. Energy prices have been soaring as demand continues to outstrip supply. It's pretty much it. Crude oil hitting 120 bucks a barrel at 57% this year, a little below that now, but it blew it out last week. The national average of gasoline continues to hit all-time highs pretty much every day, rising 26 cents in just one week to 4.85 a gallon nationally out in California. You'd love to pay 4.85. Tight supply prompting Saudi Arabia to hike oil prices in Asia as China eases COVID restrictions. Meantime, natural gas is above 9 bucks. And after climbing 8% in one day on forecasts for hotter weather across the South. Remember, natural gas may be the most important thing to watch in all of energy because unlike oil, it is used to make hundreds or thousands of things, chemicals, fertilizers, plastics, you name it. Joining us now is Dan Pickering, Chief Investment Officer at Pickering Energy Partners. Dan, now welcome back. I mean, Saudi Arabia raising prices uh, over, they set prices every month. They raise their price 
to Asian sellers. I mean, if China were to really reopen, stuttering, stuttering, sort of sputtering fits and starts, if they just fully went reopen, what's that going to do to oil demand and oil prices? Yeah, Brian, great question. So China is a 14 million barrel a day consumer. This shutdown's probably taken a million of those barrels off the market. Um, you assume that some of that's already come back a little bit, but uh, a million barrels a day adds to an already tight market. Uh, I think what they're trying to do is accelerate their economy. If that happens, you know, we may look at $120 a barrel and say it's cheap. So clearly something to watch along with all of the other things in the oil markets these days. Give us a little bit of good news on gasoline prices, because, you know, despite, listen, there's a lot of political commentary about prices and gouging and whatever. Refiners have been making a lot of money, but it sounds like refining margins may have gotten to a point that we're not going to see the price of gasoline go up as much, even if oil prices rise the same. Correct? I, I agree. What we've seen is refining margins are acting like oil's about 150 already. So refining has been one of the tightest spots in this market. So as oil continues to go up, if it does, it's unlikely that we see the same push upward in in gasoline prices. So, you know, not to say that that we won't see continued increases, but maybe not at the pace that we've been seeing here over the last three, four, five months. What also hasn't kept up pace, Dan, is the price of some of the oil stocks. Let's take a look at the OIH, okay, which is an oil services ETF, Baker Hughes, Summers A. Mm -hmm. Halliburton, they loom large in this. The last time oil was at this level, the OIH was above $1,000 a share. It's had a good year, but it's still at 300. One of these is gross, appears to be grossly mispriced. Either oil's too high or the OIH is too low. Brian, if even if oil breaks by 20 bucks a barrel, it feels to us that we're going to see energy stocks continue to, to work. Um, oil is signaling that these stocks are very, very cheap. And when you look at the, the macro dynamics, I mean, sure, oil may go from 120 to 100, but it's not going to go back to 60. And so with energy stocks like the OIH and the oil field service area, these, these names are trading at, uh, I think, very attractive multiples on any kind of forward-looking estimates. Uh, the, the upstream names are trading at two or three times cash flow. Energy remains too cheap. It's 5% of the S&P for a part of the market that's now growing in importance. Energy security is a much bigger deal. And so uh, the big fear has been the stocks have worked. They certainly have. They've been the best for the last couple of years. But they could be the best for the next couple of years as well. You're out there in the renewable energy capital of America. That, of course, is, is Texas, actually producing more mm -hmm. renewable energy than any state. A lot of people don't realize that. Wind and solar, which can be great to power, power plants, homes, businesses, industrial activity. What they can't do is be the raw material ingredient in fertilizer, plastics, chemicals, resins, even things to make wind turbines. How inflationary is $9 natural gas? Well, we're about to find out. Uh, the answer is it's going to show up in utility bills. It's going to show up in all of the things that you just mentioned in terms of products over the next year. And so the, the answer is it's kind of been the sneaky commodity this year. Everybody looks at oil. It's a global commodity. We've got the Russia-Ukraine situation that's that's elevated its, its sort of visibility. But 
natural gas here at home is is going to start to bite and and that's going to happen particularly as we come into winter uh next year natural gas is trading at six bucks that's a double from where it was yeah. uh three four months ago so the natural gas is something we have to keep watching as well. Yeah, and a lot of the utilities are not allowed to pass along the entire increase, but they can pass along some. We're seeing prices double in the U.K. to the consumer. Let's hope it doesn't happen here. Dan Pickering, always a pleasure to get your views, Dan. Thank you very much. All right, still ahead, can stocks go up even if American money supply goes down? Barry Knapp is here on that. He's also got not six, but seven key themes he's looking at right now. Plus, it's the economics version of the National Spelling Bee. It is happening right now in New York City. Who better to host it? Steve Leisman, who's there with the excitement building. Steve. Yeah, Sully, we're about to start the Adam Smith division of the National Economic Challenge. Uh, We have teams competing from all over the country. When we come back, you are not going to believe how smart these kids are. They're smarter than you. They're smarter than all of you. They're smarter than I am. This is an unbelievable competition. Back in just a few minutes. All right, welcome back. What do we call this? Education inflation. More than 18,000 students entered the National Economic Challenge this year to battle it out for the top spot. Steve Leisman is hosting the event And he is standing by live to kick off the national competition. Final, Steve, take it away. Brian, thanks very much. We're about to begin the Council of Economic Education's competition for the Adam Smith Division. This is the advanced division. These kids are not just smart. They're like Bernanke smart is the way I'd put it. Uh, Left standing to compete today after a really brutal series of elimination rounds are the Harker School from San Jose, California, Iolani School from Honolulu, Hawaii, Mount Hebron School from Ellicott City, Maryland, and finally, Troy High School from Troy, Michigan. You guys are all winners to get this far, but only one school takes home the coveted crown of the biggest bunch of economic geeks in the country. Here we go. Now you know. Let's play. Here we go. Question number one, please. What economic term describes slow growth, rising prices, and rising unemployment? And what would be the best open market operation to reduce the inflation? I want to know the answer to this. 20 seconds. And five seconds now. And time. Harker School, what is your answer, please? Stagflation and sell bonds. Iolani School. Stagflation, sell bonds. Mount Hebron. Stagflation and sell bonds. Troy. Stagflation, sell bonds. That is the correct answer. Everyone's got it correct this time. All right. Chris? Okay, we're tied at ones across the board going into question two. Over to you, Steve. I think Powell's listening, so it's pretty what he's doing, right? Okay, here we go. Question number two. Consider a profit maximizing natural monopolist producing in the relevant range. What are the possible values for average total cost if marginal cost is $20? 20 seconds. Yeah. 
And five seconds to go. Time. Parker School, what is your answer, please? Less than 20. Iolani School? Less than $20. Mount Hebron? Less than $20. Troy? Less than $20. All right. The correct answer is any value greater than $20. So unfortunately, no one got that one correct. And so we say at ones across the board going into question three, Steve. Okay, question three, everybody tied at one. This will be of 22 questions. If marginal cost is rising as output increases. They all got it right in the first one. They all missed it. You know, you're kind of looking, are they, go, are they doing one of these type of things? Anyway, if you want to continue watching the National Economics Challenge on your second screen, go to youtube.com slash CNBC television. And be sure to tune into Power Lunch coming up in the next hour. We're going to hear from the winners themselves. Soon they are winners. This could go on for months. That'll be around 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. All right, coming up. Your next guest says, do not believe the Bears and maybe start buying. He'll tell us where he is deploying his cash right now. Dow's up 95. A little, little bid coming in. We're back after this. All right, welcome back, everybody. Stocks losing some of their earlier gains today. They are higher across the board right now. The Dow up 111. But the Dow coming off its ninth week of losses in the past 10 weeks. Recession fears, inflationary pressures gripping the markets. But your next guest says pundits sounding the alarm and calling this a bear market are just wrong. Says the recent volatility is actually just a correction related to Fed tightening. And since the worst of pain may be over, it's time to reduce cash and start buying into equities again. Let's bring in Barry Knapp, managing partner and director of research at Ironside's macroeconomics. So, Barry, so you think basically, and I'll summarize shorter Barry Knapp, which is basically all that the market has already reacted to probably – one and a half to two percent more Fed Fed tightening. Uh, yes, I would. That's a, a fair way to characterize my view. Um, we we pretty much know what the Fed policy path is for the balance of the year. We know we're gonna, they're going to go another couple of fifty basis point hikes, and then probably slow it down to twenty five while they get to the maximum caps and balance sheet contraction. The Fed policy path, that terminal funds rate, has actually been generally falling over the last three or four weeks or so. The market's probably got ahead of where the Fed's going in terms of rate policy. <clears throat> I think the market underestimates the impact on longer-term rates of the Fed starting to wind mm. down their mortgage-backed securities portfolio. In fact, if you go back to Steve's Fed challenge in that previous segment, <laughs> I would have given extra credit if any of the groups had said, sell mortgage-backed securities. That would have really been bonds. the right answer. It, not just sell bonds, not sell treasuries, but sell mortgage-backed securities, because that would help a lot in cooling off house price inflation. Fair, fair, that's a fair, fair point, because that's actually where the Fed's money goes. And I want to talk about money, and I have a chart here. It's money supply. I'm sure you know it in your head. Money supply for 10 years, M2, against the S&P 500. It's a rough chart, but you can see as money supply goes up, stocks tend to go up. I'm worried about the far right side. Money supply is starting to come down. How does the market go up if money supply comes down? Well, I think it's important to realize that the actions of the Treasury in 2021 and thus far in 2022 were far more impactful than the actions of the Fed. So last year, the Fed bought $1.4 trillion in um, Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, but the Treasury unwound 
released liquidity into the system to the tune of about $1.8 trillion over the course of six or seven months, right? And that's their account they hold at the Fed. They stopped issuing Mm -hmm. Treasury bills. That balance fell sharply. That caused a huge liquidity flood into the market. It's no coincidence that when that was at its peak in March, April, May, and June is when crypto went crazy and meme stocks went crazy. So some of this money leaked out the side. Well, thus far this year, they've raised that balance in that account at the Fed back up to $950 billion from something like 50. So they've already done far more than the Fed's going to do through the balance of the year. That's the liquidity part of the story that already effectively we've had a QT, at least in terms of overnight bank liquidity. Reserve, bank reserves, for example, or reserves held at the Fed have fallen by a trillion dollars from 4.43 to 3.3. What the Fed's going to do is a much slower pace than that. So we've already had the liquidity shock. Still, Still big numbers. We'll get to your themes next appearance. Barry Knapp, thank you very much. Ironside's macro. Love it. All right, coming up. There's a battle brewing over new SEC climate rules and a major industry group is pushing back. The who and the why next. All right, welcome back. New SEC corporate climate rules sparking a backlash. The nation's largest manufacturing trade association, Christina Parts and Evelis, joining us now with more on this. Christina. Well, the pushback that we're seeing right now from, like you said, the nation's largest manufacturing trade association highlights the growing battle over the role of financial regulators in fighting climate change. The proposed climate rules would force detailed corporate filings on carbon emissions, like the scope one and scope two you're seeing on your screen right now, as well as climate-related business risks and all those targets that companies of promise. But the National Association of Manufacturers says the rules are incredibly difficult to implement in such a short amount of time. A small manufacturer in this country spends about $35,000 per employee on compliance costs of record inflation and, and supply chain shortages and worker shortages. They simply can't afford to increase the cost of compliance. Investors are demanding this environmental impact data, and the companies will have to pay. The SEC says the plan will raise the cost to about $420,000 per year for a smaller publicly listed firm, and then $530,000 per year for a larger publicly listed firm, and they'll obviously drop off once they start to get the hang of the accounting. But ESG compliance rules means companies face a whole new level of risk, reflecting how ESG has gone from a public affairs and marketing challenge to a core element of stakeholder capitalism. Okay, that's a lot of money. 425, lot of money. probably a lawyer. Lawyer and maybe an accountant. Oh, what kind accountants. of jobs are we talking about here? Gained and maybe lost? Well, this is specific to the manufacturing world. Right now, they're already strained. There was almost a million job openings in manufacturing uh, just for the month of April. So this is the argument that was made by the president, Jay, uh, is they are strained. Look how many job openings. Yep. Pre-pandemic, it was 437,000. So you have this plus these compliance rules and the cost. Yeah. Well, that's pretty up. much everybody in Congress is a lawyer by training. They've never worked in manufacturing. Maybe they should go to the plant floor. Check it out. It's a, it's a good opportunity for future children, right? It like, is. Where should they get? Christina Partsenevelis. Yes. Thank you. Je vous en prie. Ah, merci beaucoup. That does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 